Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Today, Trish, we have a great show. We're going to be talking with our friends at Culture Amp about their latest report on workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a deep dive into what's happening in DEI, not just what's happening, but what's working, right? What's moving the needle. And I think that's even more important. But before we get into that and welcome our guest, Trish, I have a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. If you had access to, say, I don't know, a genie or the best magic eight ball ever created, and you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, just one question, which question would you ask? Oh my goodness. You've, I think you've stumped me. All right. I have my, well, my answer while Um, you think of an answer. (laughs) All right. I'm going to stick with like whatever pops in Trisha's head first is what I'm going to go with. This is not a monumental question, but it's on my mind (laughs) because that's what you want to know. That's the answer, right? I just saw something uh, the other day on this and it's, um, is Elvis Presley really dead because there is a man that they claim has his dna right now an older gentleman yeah that they're okay. claiming is elvis presley alive so there you go that's all right that's good that's good I, I, was that? I played with a couple i thought about maybe did lee harvey oswald act alone i probably want to know that is okay. bigfoot real I, i'm curious bigfoot I'm, is real okay I'm, i think i probably <laughs> go with the, what's going on in area 51 with the aliens like what's Ooh, happening okay. back there? That's been really kind of shifty for like 80 years now. I want to know what's going on in Area 51. That's what I want. And can we throw in Bermuda Triangle? That's Absolutely. Another one. Yeah. Any weird areas? <laughs> Maybe our guest has something she would like to know. Yeah, she we'll have to let her. About it. Uh, we will oh, welcome yeah. her to the show now to talk about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, what's, and, and the great data and research that's uh, just recently been published by our friends at Culture Amp. Our guest today is Aub- Aubrey Blanche from Culture Amp. Trish, Trish, she is the math path right? Do you know what that is? I'll tell you. That's math nerd plus empath. And that's pretty cool. She's also a senior director of equitable design, product, and people at Culture Amp and startup investor and advisor. Through all her work, she seeks to question, reimagine, and redesign the systems and practices that surround us to ensure that all people can access equitable opportunities and build a better world. Her work is undergirded by her training in social scientific methods. And her professional expertise covers a broad range of equitable enterprise operations from talent lifecycle programs and accessible product development to event design, communications, media, and lots more. Aubrey, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today? So good. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And especially to talk about probably my most exciting moment and thing that's happening in 2022. That's great. That's great. Feel free to weigh in on the question, Aubrey. Is there some conspiracy, mystery, universal dilemma you'd love the answer to? Oh, you know what? I actually just want to know, like, is Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster real? There have been sightings and things like that. So I want some proof. I know. Me too. I was was leaning hard on Bigfoot. I did think of Loch Ness Monster too. I thought there's something going on out there that somebody doesn't want us to know. Let's leave it at that. So uh, we mentioned, Aubrey, that you're here to talk about the Culture Amp uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Report, understanding the DEI landscape, which just recently came out. Before we dive into this report and why it's so uh, powerful and, and, and hopefully helpful for organizations, maybe tell us from your perspective and, and your team's perspective, hey, like why, why devote all the time, energy, and resources to doing the research, interpreting the research, and writing such a comprehensive report on DEI? What, what, what was kind of the reason why you guys decided to invest in this area? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think at, at the core, the reason is because it's never been more urgent and more important for businesses to be investing in this. So from a data perspective, you know, what we're seeing is that the workforce is fundamentally changing. So research shows that for every 100 straight white men that are leaving the workforce, only 66 are entering. So we know that the workforce of the future is more diverse, has a more broad, a broader set of needs um, than previous generations. But we also see that for folks that are going to be making up the bulk of the workforce, that's millennials and Gen Z, that they have an increasing expectation that their workplaces not only align with their values, but are taking positive sort of social impact steps. And then I think there's um, my personal why, which is human dignity matters. Mm-hmm. And you know, workplaces have been pretty abusive for a long time in a lot of ways. And so doing this is just the right thing. And I think we're at a moment in history when people are taking more seriously the impact they have and the way that work actually contributes to people's wellness and people's thriving. And so DEI is a core way that we actually create those types of employee experiences. So Culture Amp is, is a company that's, you know, we're the employee experience platform where we're trying to help people feel more fulfilled and sort of um, awesome at work. And so for us, whether that's our internal operations or the way that we're supporting our customers, DEI is just a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so thrilled that you're bringing um, all of this data to us for a couple of reasons. I mean, you mentioned, of course, that it's you know now more urgent and more important than ever before. And I can think back not not too long ago, unfortunately, where it was really more of just a checklist, check the box, right? Do we have a a diversity? And it was just diversity and inclusion at that point, right? We've now added equity. We've now added belonging and some of the other things to to make it a holistic approach. Could you maybe just talk a little bit about how that interest has really um, gained traction? You know, obviously it started gaining traction pre-pandemic. Maybe talk a little bit about that. And then what are you seeing result-wise in terms of how many companies are actually recognizing this as, as an issue and, and how many are doing something about that? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think actually some of the data in, in the new uh, workplace DEI report actually speaks to that. So certainly um, any DEI practitioners will tell you that there's a crisis and people care and then the care kind of falls off. And our data actually shows that. So I think most um, folks are pretty familiar with, you know, the movement for racial justice that gained prominence in summer 2020. And what our data actually shows is that for every market that we looked at, so North America, APAC, and EMEA, um, that the number of inclusion-related questions and employee experience surveys spiked um, Mm. after the video of George Floyd's murder went viral. Now that spike was most pronounced in North America. um, But what we see is that while that interest has now waned, a little bit. Um, North America is still above those pre-summer 2020 levels. APAC and EMEA have gone to about their baseline. Um, what we see is that companies are asking more questions about inclusion, indicating that it's uh, it's moving up the priority list. Now, what I would say is that there's a vast difference between companies that say that they care about DNI, right, who have updated their careers page to put a couple more Black people on it, and the companies that are actually resourcing and investing in this. 
So our DEI report shows that many companies, for example, are hosting events and discussions um, around that. So about 60% of organizations surveyed, understanding that our customers tend to be a little bit more on the, um, on the progressive sort of social impact oriented end. Um, about 60% of those companies have hosted discussion and events related to DEI, but only 49% of those have a strategic plan in place around DEI. And only about 40% of those organizations actually have dedicated DEI headcount or professional specialist expertise. So I think there's a lot of companies who are talking the talk on anti-racism and DEI, but there's a pretty big gap between that sort of walking the talk that we see. And I think there's a couple of reasons that are important is that some companies, um, the leadership just doesn't really care. So what we surfaced in the data is that white employees, for example, are least likely to believe that inequities are occurring. Um, and because white folks, because of white supremacy and structural racism, tend to be in positions of power, um, that there are some companies that we see that don't actually care and are just saying that. But yeah, I think there's a, I'm, I'll be, I'm sorry to interrupt. There's a little bit of, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm the senior director or I'm a VP or I'm, you know, I've done pretty well. I became the controller, right? White guy, right? So sure, things must be good because look, look how well I've done, right? It's a little bit of that going on, I'd imagine. Absolutely. But I think what our data is also showing us, and I think this is really important, is that the majority of companies actually do care. They actually want to walk um, the talk, but they don't necessarily know where to start. So our data shows, for example, that 86% of companies believe that DEI is valuable, um, but only 31% of companies are actually measuring the effectiveness of their um, of their initiatives. And so that means that companies aren't always making the right investments um, in moving the needle for their particular company. But what we also see, and this is where we need senior leaders to get more courageous and to step up, is that only 34% of the HR and DEI professionals that we surveyed felt that they had sufficient resources to meet the mandates that they have. And so I think there's a big potential for us um, to see that companies that truly invest in DEI, um, another, the third section of the report actually shows this, that when companies do invest resources in this work, they can move the needle on diversity, equity, inclusion. So this is complex, but it is in nowhere near impossible. You mentioned the 34 percent, and I'm glad you did, because that was one of the, the um, figures I highlighted when I was reading through the report. And can you can you talk a little bit, Aubrey, about maybe what what do some of those initiatives or support resources look like or what are you hearing from clients? What would that be? Would that include learning? What else might might that Absolutely. include? So our research in, in the 2022 report actually goes into which initiatives are most likely to support diversity, to support equity, and to support inclusion. And so um, my favorite finding, um, to be honest, was actually around what specifically supports building more diverse workplaces. And when I tell you or folks on the line, they're probably going to say, well, of course, um, because the answer to that is having a DEI policy having a strategic plan in place and measuring the effectiveness of your, of your initiatives. And so when you think about that as a business leader, you say, well, isn't that the exact same way we would drive any other type of organizational change? And so that speaks to the idea that this is a lack of will 
and not a lack of can. And so that means that for companies that have made those commitments, there's meaningful things that they can push forward. Now, in terms of equity, what we see are the most effective, um, the most effective outcomes are um, things like having clear and transparent promotion processes. Um, and so things like ensuring that there's clear advancement criteria, that there are mentorship and sponsorship programs, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense to drive equitable outcomes is making sure that we're overcoming those barriers that marginalized people might face. Um, And then for inclusion, um, uh, that is exactly where you see the impact of things like having DEI events and DEI training can help drive an inclusive atmosphere. But one of the things that I would say to folks is that often companies focus on training without focusing on dealing with the structural equity issues, which is basically never an effective strategy. And if there were one thing I could wish away (laughs) in 2022, it would be unconscious bias training. Okay. Okay. So our research showed that the majority of DEI training that's happening is unconscious bias training. And I'm here to tell you as a practitioner that the research is aggressively mixed um, on whether it's effective, but I can guarantee you if training is the only thing you are doing to limit bias, you are wasting your money and your time of your managers. So it's really important that any type of training strategy um, is coupled with things like auditing your performance, promotion, and pay processes. Um, and I can talk a little bit about it in the data. Of yeah, that as well. Aubrey, thanks for bringing that up because that was the next note I had turned to in my notes uh, from reading the report was the kind of stark difference between organizations that reported, hey, we are trying to stay on top of pay equity. Mm-hmm. The data I have here, 55% of organizations said they would do a pay equity analysis on a yearly basis, annual basis, right? That sounds pretty good. Maybe it's not great. I don't know. But on the performance side, on performance management and sort of auditing your performance processes and ensuring you're not introducing biases and and, and harming underrepresented groups on the performance slash promotion. I read that as promotion too side a little bit. Uh, 57% of organizations said they've never done it, right? And so that's a pretty stark difference, right? Because it's one thing to kind of do the math. You're the math path, right? You can do the math on on pay equity. It's really kind of just a math problem, I think. But performance equity and looking at those processes is a little bit more complex. And I'd maybe love for you to comment on that finding and maybe maybe suggest some ways that organizations can can look into getting better in, in that area. Absolutely. That thank you for asking that question because I will tell you, I think if if companies do two things on DEI. Number one, you must collect data. Number two, audit your performance process. Um, And the reason is because so many things hang off that performance process. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the trends and then I'll get into specifically what we'll be doing around performance, which I think there's a couple of drivers of the trend that you you picked out in the report. And the first is that, you know, for example, um, there have been changes, especially in North America, where EEO1 component two actually requires pay equity. So pay equity analyses have become a compliance issue for many businesses. And so it's not surprising to me that we see a higher level of that. We see that in the UK um, as well. And we're also starting to see emerging trends in other markets. Pay equity or performance equity analysis is not something that's talked about, but we have a saying in the data and the math world, which is garbage in, garbage out. And I think that's really true, which is if you're auditing your pay, but you haven't audited the impact or the input of your pay, then your statistics might actually be hiding intense structural discrimination. 
Um, and so that's why I say auditing your performance process is one of the most important things you can do because things like professional development, advancement, and pay are processes that hang off often performance ratings. Um, it's actually the reason I'm in favor of performance ratings because they are auditable. Not having performance management or not having ratings, those things happen in the background. They're just more likely to be bias filled um, and you won't be able to hold them accountable. But this is something we do at CultureAmp. So for every one of our performance, promotion, and pay cycles, we audit all three of those processes from a gender, race, disability, LGBTQ, and caregiver perspective, um, because we see that all of those different types of marginalization. So pay equity analysis, folks, there's lots out there. For performance equity analysis, what we're looking at is to statistically determine whether the distribution of performance ratings is different between groups. Okay. So hypothesis might be, um, our white employees are more likely to get that top rating than BIPOC employees. And so we want to audit the process to say, is that true? The most powerful way to audit, and this is the way that CultureAmp does it, is we actually audit those scores before manager calibrations. So we give guidance to our HR business partners that if we see an inequity, that is to be discussed and rectified in the manager collaboration. So we involve our managers in the process of bias reduction. And once we've seen changes from those calibrations, we re-audit those processes so that we feel confident that the process we've engaged in has actually resulted in an equitable performance or promotion outcome. With promotions, which you didn't ask about, but I'm gonna dive in. Anyway. Well, I mean, I think it's part of this, part of that conversation, right? right. right? As you said, right. right? because we see, look, it's we didn't talk about talent sourcing. I'm not sure we're gonna have time to talk about it, but that's a very mm -hmm. common approach right? organizations have taken to attack these problems. Let's expand our sourcing pool mm -hmm. and let's bring in much more diverse sets of candidates and therefore let's make more diverse hires. And that usually works or at least somewhat works. But then now we start talking about progression through the organization and advancement and access to opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're talking about some deeper things here. Absolutely. Um, what you're talking about, to use a phrase that I learned from one of the VPs at CultureAmp, is a lot of companies build the driveway but forget to build the house. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, and so that's really what you're doing when you invest in recruiting before you invest in culture and advancement um, is that you have a driveway, but what are you driving up to? Um, but point. I think for promotions, um, the way that I think about it is there's two factors that you want to audit. You want to look both at the promotion rate. So for example, are disabled and non-disabled people actually advancing through the levels at the same rate or proportional to their representation in the organization? But you also want to look at what we call promotional velocity or time to promotion. So what we often see is, sure, those rates are equitable, but women are taking two and a half years to get that promotion, mm -hmm. while men are taking two years to get to that promotion. And that can help you dive in once you have that data, if you see a gap, um, you're able to do a focus group or do some interviews to say, is it that managers are rating things inequitable? Is it that women aren't putting themselves up for promotion at the same rate they could? So there's a lot of potential drivers of that. But I think um, companies that really are invested in DEI, those auditing procedures are some of the most powerful things you can do because that allows you to just like we talked about, build a strategic plan that's custom built to the gaps and the strengths of your organization. What kind of, I guess, feedback or response do you get from clients who go through this maybe for the first time in their organization's history? 
um, because I'm thinking just, you know, there are definitely going to be, whether it's HR professionals or DE&I professionals who are versed in this, but maybe they need that little bit of assistance and kind of getting all of the other senior leadership team on board with this idea about really doing these audits and not just around pay equity, but especially around promotion equity. So what do you say to these clients if they're either struggling maybe with this or they've never done it before? Do you all help them with that aspect of it too, like having those conversations? Absolutely. So we have folks on our team at CultureAmp who can, from our people science team to our coaches team, who can guide people to interpret their survey results. But one of the things we also really strongly recommend is working with external consultants and thought partners. So folks will see in the report um, that that using and engaging with external thought partners is actually correlated with more equitable and more inclusive outcomes. And I think it's really important to tie back to this idea of resourcing that, you know, 60% of the folks that are tasked with DEI are non-specialists. They're wearing a secondary hat or doing this as part of a secondary shift, or maybe you've unjustly put the work on your ERG groups, your employee resource group leaders. Um, But what we see is that working with those outside partners actually does drive change because this is a specialized type of expertise to understand different types of equity. And so, again, I go back to this in the report that when companies do put resources into it, it's actually an incredibly cost-effective way to drive employee engagement, well-being, retention. a kind of uh, a cynical comparison perhaps is, you know, you could spend a few hundred thousand dollars on equity and inclusion in your organization, or you could spend a few million dollars on a discrimination lawsuit. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Right. Yeah. Or, so, or, you know, having a like much more churn, right? Much more people absolutely. leaving. Try, and and that, that churn is ridiculous. That, you know, I don't want to go, we're not doing a labor market show. I promise, Trish, I promise I won't talk about this much, but, you know, the record number of quits, right, happening in America and other places, it's part of this, I think, and it's important to keep that in mind as well. I think the, uh, I think the really cool thing about this report, though, too, is just kind of the the through line between what people are, are, uh, are, are saying they're doing what employees are feeling, and then what's actually working, right? And it's very clear as you go through the three, the three separate parts of, of the Culture MD and I report, like you get to, okay, this is where you can really make an impact. And I think that's pretty valuable, right? For organizations who are not just organizations who are like busy and, and, and struggling a little bit, but just on a personal level as well. Um, and I think one of the things you mentioned, Aubrey, I just want to mention real quick before we run out of time, that perked my attention up in the report, uh, was caregivers as as a group or as a cohort or whatever is the right way to describe a tranche of folks uh, or, or, or have responsibilities. And they kind of, at least according to the data, are really sort of underserved in their particular challenges, whether it's childcare or even elder care. And I I don't know, that perked my uh, ears up when I read that. I'd love for you, and you mentioned caregiving is something you think about as you are auditing performance processes at CultureAmp. I'd love for you to maybe share a thought or two about that, that element of the data that you found. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's so important. And I think there's a couple of important things for companies to think about with this, which is, first of all, in you know the middle of the, the COVID pandemic, we're in a mass disabling event. And so we should expect that the needs of caregivers and simply like the the existence of caregiving um, to go up significantly. And there's a lot of important intersections with women and especially BIPOC and disabled communities here. So this is a very intersectional Mm -hmm. um, group of people we're talking about. Um, But what we saw is that 
of the groups that companies are collecting data on, very few companies are actually collecting data on the caregiver status of their employees. And it's really clear from the data that shows what data companies have and what ERG groups they're forming, um, that the more you have data on something, the more likely you're gonna improve the employee experience on that. So I would say first, um, that companies should begin to collect data on the caregiving. And that's not only caregivers of children, but also caregivers of adults, elder care. Mm -hmm. And our research also showed that those are some of the benefits that are least likely to exist in organizations. So while about 94% of organizations had mental health support, for example, um, less than 10% had senior care benefits and less than a quarter had child care benefits, even though that's something that's becoming more and more important and especially important amid the great resignation and the ongoing pandemic um, of racial justice, you know, racial um, inequality, as well as COVID-19. And so what I would say is this is an area that's ripe for innovation and for greater support and investment in a way that I think will both positively impact employee experience, but also drive those things like retention, which are really high on top of mind for business leaders today. Yeah, yeah I was talking to someone recently and they were uh, complaining just that he couldn't do X, Y, or Z, kind of a work thing, because he felt like all he was doing was running around town, making sure that kid number one was COVID negative, kid number two was COVID negative on a different day, but kid number three had a different type of test they had to take to go do some other activity. And it was just consuming his life, right, essentially. And I, and it just was, yeah, I, I couldn't really relate, but I understood. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's even a pattern in our data to show that, um, well, we have a hypothesis about this pattern. So in the gender trends that we saw for women, women's um, ideas about their career prospects actually improved year over year from 2020 to 2021. But we think that that could be due to what we call a survivorship bias. Mm -hmm. So women who were supported and had good career prospects were more likely to stay in the data. While we know that there's been a huge shift of especially women leaving the workforce, needing to do caregiving in the middle of this pandemic. And so that speaks again to the potential retentive and experienced benefits of investing in childcare support. Because mm -hmm. while we think that caregiving is, is gender agnostic, we know that women tend to do the majority of the care, of caregiving. Mm -hmm. I had just one more question from me. Maybe Trish has one more too. But one other finding I'd love to highlight. And again, I would encourage everybody to go to the CultureAmp website, cultureamp.com. These will, links will be in the show notes. Download the entire report. We, we could only scratch the surface of this report, the, the data, plus also the findings and the conclusions. But there was one uh, more, Aubrey, I would love for you to comment on. And this is just making the recommendation, I believe that's how, maybe it was phrased that way, maybe not, but that DEI, DNI specific surveying is much more valuable than more generalized employee engagement surveying, which probably organizations have been doing for 50 years now, who knows? Uh, I'd love for you to maybe just maybe expand upon that, just that, that particular element. Yes, absolutely. And for folks who don't know, in DEI surveying is CultureAmp's real bread and butter. So it's one of the things we, we live and breathe every day. But really what we see is that is that DEI specific surveying is correlated with greater inclusion um, in the workplace. And this makes sense. So well, um, and the reason for that is because inclusion is a pretty complex experiential topic. And so it requires multiple questions to understand what's happening. So 
For example, in CultureAmp's DEI survey, we have an outcome factor of inclusion that measures things like psychological safety, belonging, respect and feeling valued, dedication to mission and commitment and alignment to that. But then we also have a set of 18 other questions that provide guidance about what's driving that outcome. Mm -hmm. Because while um, this is to, to quote Tolstoy, you know, every, every happy company is happy in the same way that every <laughs> unhappy company is unhappy in its own way. And so when people always say, I have a lack of inclusion, what do I do? I, as a consultant, as a leader, always say, you know, well, it depends on what's broken. I need to look at that data to understand what isn't working for you so that we can design custom strategies to begin to close those gaps. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that you wouldn't just take a generic playbook to do go to market for your SaaS products, right? You need to know who's your market, what's not being served, what pain points do they have? What are their distribution channels? It's the same thing with DEI, which is what's working, what's not, and then how do we close those gaps? And so I think that it's about intentional surveying and a best practice that I usually tell folks, um, if we'll get into some actionable stuff, is running a full inclusion survey once a year mm -hmm. is a great cadence, but I often suggest pulsing on those three to five biggest impact questions okay. every quarter or on a biannual basis to give yourself some feedback on a more consistent basis because you can't always fix everything. Um, but I will talk for just a second about the CultureMP platform because sure. I, I was a super user before I was an employee. That's why I chased the company down. Um, was was really that, you know, the CultureMP platform actually takes that guesswork out of it. So we have something called, um, you know, factors and driver analysis. What we actually say is, for your organization, based on the outcomes of this inclusion or engagement survey, here are the three or four most impactful areas okay. that you could invest in. And so that's what I would say is when you're looking to do that, don't do everything, but find the two to four things that are most impactful to driving equity and inclusion in your workplace. And those become the strategic themes. That's the basis of that strategic plan that you right. want to build. Um, and always, always, always consider intersectional identities. And if you have to prioritize, tackle racism first. Okay. Very good. You know what? Thank you for sharing all of that because I think that sometimes when you look at a, a topic like this in an organization that where maybe the leaders know this is not something that is working for us right now, but we just are overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. You're right. Having that partner that's going to have the background and have the experience and the data and the processes, right, to point you in the right direction. So thank you for mentioning, especially focusing in on those two, three, four things that are most impactful to, to guide your strategy. Because I think if you, if you do just go out there and Google some checklist, you're not going to have any results that are measurable, that are impactful, and you're not going to fix anything, right? And I think that's what a lot of companies have done over the years. It's sort of just looking to see what is everyone else doing? So I liked your point about, you know, we each have a really unique, probably set of problems that lead to a certain situation within the organization. And so understanding the specifics are really critical. 
Yeah, I definitely encourage everyone to go out to the cultureamp.com site, download the report, spend some time with it, because we we will not have time to get into it, but we didn't really talk about LGBTQ at all. We didn't really talk a lot about some of the, the there. differences amongst the experience between, uh, say, uh, Black Americans, uh, Latinx, and and uh, Asian, you know, Asian mm-hmm. employees, having to do with some of the organized kinds of movements that have sprung up in the last couple of years. So it's all in there, though. I'd encourage folks to go out there and check it out. There's this is data too, by the way. I wanted to throw this out there. Uh, Culture Network surveyed over 2,100 organizations. 1.1 million folks participated in this, right? So this, the data set is huge, and and so really it helps uh, us to really understand these bigger trends and and what's actually uh, moving the needle here. This is so much fun, Aubrey. Uh, I we could probably do another old show on this. Maybe we should. Maybe we should like revisit some of the things we didn't yeah. get a chance to talk to. But in, in a few months, let's do that. Let's give folks a chance to go out there, go out to culturamp.com, download the report, learn more about uh, the survey, the data, and, and, and try to start taking some steps to make some improvements to their organizations. Aubrey, uh, Aubrey Blanche from Culture Amp, this has been so much fun. This has been an absolute honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for just bringing this data, helping us bring this data to life. And, uh, you know, we'll keep fingers crossed. I will always come back and hang out with such a wonderful crew. But really, the goal, what we hope for is that this helps DEI practitioners and advocates and business leaders make more impact and improve the world of work for the better. Awesome. Well, that's great. That's a great kind of uh, good way to send it off. Good way to kind of close out the show. So, uh, Again, cultureapp.com for the report, all the details, learn more about what's happening there. Uh, Trish, really, really good stuff. Good to see you. You're on the mend. I like this. We On the mend. You're almost uh, 92% healthy again, which is By great. By the time this airs, I will be good. I love it. All right. <laughs> Uh, as a reminder, you can subscribe to the HR Happy Hour Show wherever you get your podcasts and all the show archives, everything, all the shows, hrhappyhour.net. Uh, for Aubrey Branch for Culture and Fortress for Farland, my name is Steve Bose. Thanks so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, and we'll see you next time.